So we are starting a new series on the theology. We always talk about the necessity, but the theology of community. We, we take coming to church for granted, right? You come to church. You look forward to coming to church. You try your best to come to church. In fact, over the past year, it's almost like we're fighting to allow people to come to church. But why? Why do you come to church? Why is it important to you? And so the next few weeks, whenever I preach, we're going to go walk through this understanding of what it means to come to church or together in community. The title of my sermon today is The Cross Carrier. Anybody live in a time where you know where this is? I don't. Kampong Amber, Amber Road. Anybody have seen it in person? My dad said he has. I sent a photo to him. He said he has seen it in person. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is how houses in Singapore used to look like before we had HDB flats. Kampong, atap house, right? And once you get a fire, everything's gone. Everything's gone. But you know, today, we still have one kampong left. One village left. It's very near, I think, Uncle Michael, where you live, uh, this place. Uh, kampong Buangkok. Kampong Buangkok, the last standing kampong of Singapore. Still available. And there's still a, uh, a mama shop there that is like really old school. Uh, go there with my friend before COVID once in a while just to soak in the ambience. And my dad will laugh at me. I, live, I used to live in Sengkang. It's like, we, we wanted to get out of the kampong and you young people trying to go back to the kampong, right? Um, I think there are a lot of good things of the kampong that we, we miss. Um, that is uh, something that maybe we should strive to establish today. But one of the beauty of kampong and the kampong spirit, now Singapore I have to mention that, is that you can help each other and you live as a village. You're not living as one single family unit. I hear stories about how people don't have to lock their doors and... And villagers, uh, fellow villagers will take care of each other's kids. You don't need to pay for childcare. So expensive. You know, just, you don't even have to drop them off, right? They, they will come and pick up your kids or just come and hang out. And there's always aunties and uncles all around. You don't have to worry about people going hungry. Right? People share what they have. You know, they feed each other. In fact, they, they find it a, 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 almost a, a curse or a, a shameful thing. If they, you come to my house, you leave my house hungry. I think they're still around today. Part of the thing that when I go do visitation, you know, it's very like, like I, go, I cannot go after lunch because people will like, eat something. I'm like, I've eaten. No, you haven't eaten in my house. Okay, and I'll eat. And then the next house I visit, eat something. Like, I just ate twice. No, no, you haven't eaten in my house the third time. Does <laughs> that like, pastors are overweight? Excuses. But a kampong is a community, and you watch out for one another. I have a little bit of that left because I live in Topayo, and a lot of my neighbors are the original resident of the HDB flat. So mine is the newer part of Topayo, the second phase. So Topayo was one of the first place when they drove people out of the kampong, they make them move to Topayo, my grandfather. Right? He lived in Lorong 1. And I maybe, there's part of me want to reclaim that and I moved back to Topayo. Where I live is where the second batch of people moved to Topayo, a little bit newer. But some of my neighbors are the original resident. Or, you know, they were young, they were kids, now they are really old. And you look around the, the HDB around my place, you see it because some of the windows are the original windows of wood. 
steel wood with the little glass panel. And then the, the metal, get, uh, I threw away mine. Mine was, I bought it from the original uh, person staying there. It was such a heartache to throw that away because it's the original pinkish beige kind of metal grill. I'm like, oh, retro. Uh, not, not, not my house style, so I have to like, change it. But it's like, if you go to the back and you look up the block, you can still see some of them are still there. That means they are the original people. And so my neighbor is one of them. All right, so uh, it used to be that, I, I think I told you before, that the lift didn't go to every floor in the HDB flat. You have to go to 3, 6, 9, 12 or something like that. And later on, they built those new lifts that goes to every floor, and suddenly it became a blessing for me because I live on the floor without a lift originally, but because I moved in later, they just built it a year before I moved in, where it's only now, my, my unit is only me and my neighbor, the two of us, and we have a private lift. Really nice, huh? And uh, what happened, actually, this just happened last night. So last night, uh, Tiffany took Lucas out for a little walk, uh, went on the uh, scooter, and then I was having moved the things in. I forgot to lock my gate. And it's not the first time, I tell you. It's many, 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 many times. And so this morning, as I was coming to church, I opened the wooden door, and lo and behold, my gate was like, <laughs> wide open. Sometimes my neighbor does that, and his gate's wide open. And Lucas will come and say, why is the gate open? I'm like, because it's safe. Because I, I trust my neighbors. In fact, now Lucas has gone to the age where he's strong enough to open the, the wooden fire door. He don't know how he's managed to do that. And he'll hear the neighbor come home and he'll open the door and chat with the uncle. And the uncle wants to go home. He's really tired. But he, he really likes my son. So he'll stay there. And then my son will not stop. And he keep chatting. And you know, my son says stuff, kitty stuff. And the uncle run out of things to say. But my, as long as my son holds the door, the uncle doesn't dare to leave. You know? So I have to go and rescue the uncle. Not my son. But let uncle go home. Let uncle go home and then close the door. Community, something that is lost. In fact, some of the things that, uh, if you look at the newer HDB, they built the units in a way that you don't see each other. There's so private corners. You don't walk past each other's house. A lot of young people appreciate that. In fact, I appreciate it, to be honest. I want privacy. But at the same time, you realize that you're running away from community. So much so that maybe in the foresight of the Singaporean government, they built community centers. Community centers. And Topayo is one of the places in the world with, not in the world, in Singapore, with one of the most number of community centers. Just near my house, there's Topayo Community Center South. I go past the market, I cross road community centers east. I walk further community center west. I walk another 10 minutes community center central. And I'm like, why there's so many? Because we were the old estate, we have a lot of community centers. Because people wanted the community aspect of living close to each other. But if you go to the new, new, newer estate, Pongo, Pongo East, and then 30 minutes drive, Pongo West Community Center. The only community center that people really hang out is, is the Pongo Shopping Center, Waterway Point. But we've lost that. We've lost that as people... And as people urbanize, in fact, there's a recent book that I've been reading. It's called The Lonely Century. How people are getting 
living in spaces smaller and smaller because cities are getting busier and busier, more and more packed, and there's more people coming together and living in one square meter space. They calculate population density, and Singapore is one of the most dense cities in the world, and yet people are getting lonelier by the day. They don't interact. They don't get to know people. They don't talk to people. They don't have friends. So, but, but pastor, there's social media. We can still connect with one another. But you know, one of the things about social media is really good. You know, if not for that, we won't have church. But what, what the other thing that happens is if you, know, you have, don't have an address to visit when somebody disappears. They deactivate. They shut down. They delete the account, and you lost that connection forever. In Singapore, in church, if somebody stopped coming to church, I have your address. And your phone number. So there's a little challenge that people are going through. One of the things I do um, is I go, I only have one day off a week, and it's on Monday, intentionally, so that it's like less people. It's kind of sad, right? It's not as crowded. And the fact is, weekend is always filled up with programs. Uh, so Monday is a day. So if you don't receive a reply from my WhatsApp message on Monday, I'm trying to have a real day off. Uh, although it's very hard. Um, so I go grocery shopping at like 8 a.m. And now there's really, I told you, right? I go and this is young men and all the aunties. I've become one of them. Now I lead the pack. Whenever I go for a veggie, all the aunties come, is it good? Is it really good? Is this very good? I say, yes, bye. <laughs> but also, like, I, I, so I'm buying for the week, right? I'm buying for the week for the family. So I... I I'm so at a point where I, I will go to three different places to buy different stuff. Because that vegetable is fresher there. I won't tell you where, or else it's going to be too crowded. Then there's a grocery for fruits in another place. I heard from another auntie. She was in NTUC Fair Price, and she was commenting loudly about where else you should, we should go. And I said, aha, I went, it's good. And so I go to different places to buy different things. Uh, just so I can get all the stuff. I mean, one of the things I realize, sometimes I get too happy, I buy too much stuff, I just throw it into the car, and when I get home, um, I still have to walk home. And I open up my boot. Uh-oh. A lot of stuff. And so I do my weight training Monday morning. Right? I, just, I hook as many plastic bags, and, 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 and so I have like reusable carrier, and I use it up, and I, I use the IKEA one, the IKEA one. It's used up, and I have to take plastic bags, and I, my both hands are like, and I try to, and the thing is, not, it's not that, if it's compact and heavy, it's not a problem, but it's bulky. You know, some of the things that are light, but they're big. You know, so you buy toilet paper, you know, juggle, and I have to bring it to my car. And then one time, I was just like trying to make my way to my car, and then press the lift, the elbow attack. You know, I couldn't because it's really heavy. I think I bought rice. I couldn't lift it to fifth floor and elbow it. And that's why one of my other neighbors uh, on the 12th floor came and he's like, need help? I'm like, yes, please. And he's like, he's a really nice chap. And uh, he's like, hey, can I help you carry your groceries? I said, it's okay, you know, the lift, the door opens, it's my house. He said, but how are you going to open the door and get your keys? I'll put the things down. He's like, ah. He's like, but you know, I could just help you hold and then you can open the door. Like, it's okay, it's okay. And then the door closed, and I'm like, ah, I don't like to be helped. I have to do things myself. I realized, like, 
I could have built a better friendship if I just said, yeah, just please help me hold for a little while. So I, 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 I treasured privacy over friendship at that moment. And I'm like, next time, I'm going to like let him help me. Here you go, thanks. You know? And I, 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 and I waited and it never happened again. But thankfully, you know, I have a key evangelist, my son. Everybody talks to me because of my son. And so now they walk by and so now this, this couple, right? They, and see, they'll say, hi, Mr. Handsome. Not to me, to Lucas. And then because of that, we got chatting and I got you know, my 12th floor neighbor, my 9th floor neighbor. Community, right, is a choice that we can still make today. We can still connect and allow others to help us if we are willing. So we're going to look through the story in the scripture of Jesus' last moment. Luke 23, verse 26. It's a very short verse, easily ignored verse. We're going to look at three different perspectives of the same event. And I hope that by reading about Jesus' personal walk to the cross, that you will teach us something that maybe will have to challenge us on how we live our lives. Luke 23, verse 26. And as they led him, Jesus, away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. You've seen pictures of this, where as Jesus walked on his way to be nailed on the cross, he fell. He, was, he has been beaten, probably hasn't had food, hasn't had a lot of water to drink since the night before. Went from person to person, question after question. He hasn't slept a wink all night, and he's suffering from the anguish that his disciples have betrayed him. Some of us think that he knows, because he knows that Judas is going to betray him, that he didn't love Judah. No, he loved Judah. Judas will come to him every single day, and every day being Jesus, we will try to outreach to Judas. And in fact, he never once denied that he chose Judas to be one of the twelve. Although we may hear that he's been recommended by the others, but Jesus is not compelled because Jesus says he prayed for who to choose to the Father and Judas was that. And people say, so Jesus invited him in because he has to fulfill the role of the traitor. I tell you that in fact there were 12 traitors, not just Judas, all denied Jesus. All ran away. Judas just played the role of the guy who brought the soldiers. He was not more unique than the others. Of course, the choice of how he ended his life was unique because he could have chose differently. But he was betrayed also by Peter, by James, Andrew, Thomas, Thaddeus. All of them betrayed him. And so anguish, tiredness, emotionally drained, he carried this cross that has to be held up high on the top of the hill and it has to be big and strong. It's not like those polished 
fine sand down wooden plank you see. These are like thrown away pieces of wood that just happen to be big enough and you just roughly nailed them together. So they were full of splinters and just a stab into you and it's just painful and He's just been whipped on the back, Jesus, and he's carrying this huge cross of splinter upon his shoulder and his back, walking down the path. And he collapsed. And his, his human frailty, his human weakness causes him to fall and he can't carry his cross anymore. See, the soldiers were not like kind-hearted people. They're not like, let's help Jesus out. No, no, no. They're like, let's get this done. Let's get to the cross and nail him. Let's not waste time here. Hey, you, come, carry it. So Simon of Cyrene carried the cross of Jesus and went behind him. Jesus, Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, coming Savior, Messiah, Prince of Peace, needed help. The almighty God of the universe as a display of who He is, fully human, needed help. How often do we, as followers of Christ, live as though we don't need help? We all, some of us live as though our only way of being Christian is to give help, but we refuse to receive help. But the Lord that we served was willing to be vulnerable among His creation to say, yes, I will let somebody carry my cross. Let's look at another depiction of the same scenario. Luke heard it from people. He interviewed people. Probably the ladies were following Jesus. In fact, the Bible was very clear that there was only one group of people, and it was very clear they were all females that was following and supporting Jesus through his journey. And Luke probably heard from them because Mary, mother of Jesus, was among them. And, uh, and later on, I'll tell you who else was there that she, he might have heard it from. But Mark, tell me to Mark. 1521, who is most likely an account of the same story from the perspective of the disciple Peter. He was hiding in the crowd. This is his rabbi. He's going to be crucified. He didn't dare to, to make himself known. In fact, a few hours before, he just denied Jesus three times. He doesn't know what to do. And here he is following him from a distance, observing the whole thing transpire. Mark 15, 21. And he said the same thing. But he gave us a little bit more information. Mark 15, 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. You'd be like, yeah, okay, he's Simon of Siren, father of Alexander and Rufus. How did he know his name? He's a stranger. Pull out from the crowd. Not even from Jerusalem. He's from the country. And yet, not only was Peter able to relate that his name is Simon, he knows where he's from, Cyrene, 
and his two sons are Alexander and Rufus. That itself is amazing. So take, take a note. Ask yourself, how did Peter know his name and the names of his sons? So Jesus, in allowing somebody to help him, and this specific individual has been named. It's very interesting. You know why? There are many powerful, well-known among Jews people that in the Bible, all they get is the governor, the ruler, the person, the man, the woman. But yet, this person who appears just for this short one verse, one verse at the, the pinnacle of the ministry, John calls it the hour of God's glorifying. This name was brought out, Simon of Cyrene. It's not just the Bible just being giving you detail. The Bible is intentional in communicating that this man that, that, that Jesus allowed to help him, Jesus could say, I don't need your help. I can carry my own cross, which a lot of Christians do. They carry their own cross privately, suffering, and the cross that they carry because it's not what God designed it to be. They're crushed by the cross, and they leave Christianity because they say the cross is too heavy. Matthew 27, verse 23. 32, sorry. Matthew 27, verse 32. From the other disciple, Matthew, also probably hiding among the crowd, he was there, he saw his Lord. Matthew 27, verse 32. And he, re, he said the same thing. And all he had was very basic information. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene. He, didn't, he doesn't know he's called Simon. Later that he revealed, si Simon by name. Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. Which actually, if you think about who Matthew was writing to, he's writing to the Jews. Writing to the Jews. To say, this is the Messiah. Who helped him? None of us. A person from outside of us. There's a debate whether he's a Jew or not a Jew, but either way, he came to Jerusalem specifically for the festivals. So he was an adherent to the Jewish faith. And not one of us who live here in the city, live here in Jerusalem, who has been fed by Jesus. No, one of us who've eaten the bread from heaven, 5,000, 4,000, not even the Gentiles maybe, from Cyrene, somewhere else, south, where Jesus didn't do much ministry in. This man, who we don't know who he is, helped Jesus. Sometimes we as Christians have to allow ourselves to be helped by people we don't want to be helped by because maybe there's something else that we must allow God to do in that relationship. You know, during national service, be careful how I say it, I had some challenges and issues when I was in camp. And unfortunately, the person who I hoped would help me, a fellow Christian, an officer, was not helping me. And I, had, I was at the verge of being thrown into a detention barracks because of, of what my stand was. And the person who stood up and stood against the officer, which has no benefit to him at all, was a Hindu brother. 
And all he said to me, he's also an officer, he said, sir, why did you help me? I'm not, I'm not Indian, I'm not Hindu, I'm not your officer, I'm not even in really under your unit. So I don't know. I just don't think a good Christian should go to prison. He helped him for three months every single week. So every single week, I was stood in front of the detention barracks, ready to be thrown in. Every week, I'll come back to camp and like, it's going to happen again on Friday. Every Monday, I come back. Friday, I will say, no, I'm not coming back. Monday, I'll go to the prison. I'll report that so much that the, the provost, they look at me like, oh, hey. Hey, the man who cannot be imprisoned. <laughs> like, that's not funny, but it's true. Every week, the, the Hindu officer will happen to walk by. Hey, recruit James, what you doing here? Or Private James at that point. Uh, sir, getting ready to be thrown into the, 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 the DB again. Ah, uh, we know that it's not going to happen, right? I'm glad to see you, sir. Every week, something here. Save me from the door. Never went to DB once of a Hindu officer. God would have it that we're still in connection. God would have it that he started asking about why, did I, why was I so stubborn and stupid? And recently he wrote, he saw my LinkedIn update. He said, ah, that's why. I'm like, why? Because you're a priest. I wasn't a priest always. I, I read, I know you're not always a priest. You're meant to be a priest. <laughs> then the second part, which is more amazing. Can I ask you some questions about your faith? 19 years old, 41, 20 years, 22. It took 22 years for me to understand why he rescued me every week. Let's go on, Matthew 16, verse 26. Matthew 16, 26 tells us a very key idea. Matthew asks us this question, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give? in return for his soul. And, and this verse, you're like, why are you reading this verse? It's a comment of the verse before in 24, where it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The scripture has to be read carefully because this verse is not saying that we should give up hope on living. We should not live in a way where we don't plan for life. It's not about encouraging us to commit suicide. Definitely no, no, no. God value and cherish life so much but yet, in this verse, it says, for whoever follows me must carry his cross. And in carrying the cross, you lose your life. Oh, profit for losing your life. What is good about that? Let's go on. 
Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. What is this cross that will take our life? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Often claim promise, but do you really apply it? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, in commenting on what we're supposed to carry, he hasn't introduced the cross at yet, but he says, whatever burden, yoke I'm placing upon you is light because it's mine. It, then the yoke is explained as the cross that we are called to carry that will help us lose our life. What is going on? But from the final story of the verse we read in Matthew, that cross is the cross of allowing someone to carry the heavy burden when you need somebody to. See, Jesus, as a display of who he is, Son of man, needing help from the community displayed Jesus' full humanity. Even at that last walk towards the cross, he was trying to establish that he was one of us. That's why he can take our sin to die for us on the cross. That's why he can share our burden. That's why he understands what we're going through. And as his original design of humanity, he allowed the community to help. Sometimes the cross we bear is so heavy, so burdensome, because we carry it in isolation, in loneliness. If you ask yourself, because that's the question I've been asked in part of my studies, when you have a spiritual burden, who do you go to? Do you have somebody you can go to and pour out everything you need to pour out and just let the person take it. And you know this person may not even have a solution. Who is that person and do you have one? And the fact is, they ask as a pastor, do you have one? And I have to reply, honestly, I don't. Because one of the definitions of this person, as much as you can, he must not exist in the same organization as you. Pastors have no friends. We have colleagues and church members. And I thought, yeah, I have, but they're not in Singapore. I have a good friend, my classmates, who I call up in Australia, in the United States, and we chat. He says, good, but how about locally? Could you find somebody? I have never tried. Because you've only been thinking about your Seventh-day Adventist denomination. And everybody in the Seventh-day Adventist denomination knows that whatever you tell one person, USA knows later on, two hours later. That happened to me. Like, I was flying to Australia after I broke up with my first girlfriend. I landed, and the guy picking me up knew about it. This is in year 2001. There was no, like, WhatsApp, Facebook. And the next thing I knew, I was in Australia, right? I just got my Australian number. I just got it. I just got it. That night, I got a call from Canada. Hey, James, you broke up? I'm like, dude, you, stay all you, you call me all the way from Canada to ask me about this? 
And how did you know? People knew. Every Chinese church knew. Scary. I don't mind. But then at the same time, it is something that you think about. Do you have somebody? Maybe for the, you're not a pastor, you're not so burdensome, but within Aztec, within this community, do you have somebody? I'm glad some, some of you are willing to call me, but I know in your mind you're still like, this is the pastor. Yeah, he's the priest. I call for the blessing, and then I still want to tell somebody else that would be more helpful. Do you have somebody you can call? Jesus needs help too, right? The cross we bear is not ours, but Jesus's. And the cross is an exemplification of how he lives his life. The cross is not a set of rules, behavior. This is how you're supposed to be as a Christian. The cross is definitely not the Ten Commandments. Nowhere can you find that, except for tradition. Except maybe your parents will tell you that. But it's not in the Bible. The cross is not the 28 fundamentals that we read. It's not. Those are just tools. The cross we bear is a relationship with Jesus that forces us to have relationship with other believers and non-believers. That's the cross we bear. The call to carry his cross is a call to follow his way of life. Jesus was like extreme community-focused individual. He, he hung out with, with like, you know, at like 12 years old. Like, see, even at his birth, he didn't want to have a lonely birth. He invited the shepherds. Hey, come visit. Although I'm still a baby. Send the angels to bring them there. Two years old, hey, send the Magi all the way from the east, that's fine. Visit me. Twelve years old, he hung out at the temple and didn't want to go home. Mary and Joseph have to go find him. What are you doing? I'm just, I'm just hanging out with the rabbi, don't worry. And then 30 years old, when he started his ministry, looked for his cousin John, baptized me, and then John's like, whoa, what? He said, do this, right? This is right. Do it. Because this is a symbol of me starting my ministry and an invitation to the community of God, which now as a fully human, I will participate in because that's what's righteousness. And then after he got baptized, straight away, he went to the seaside and he invited people to be his disciple. Come, follow me. Come, come, follow me. Come, come. Imagine like having 12 guys just walking with you every day, all the time. Everywhere you go. Space, guys, space. Sleep together, eat together, walk together. Then sometimes they're not very clever. You'd be like saying stuff and they're like, <sighs> Uncle can hear him sigh. Even when he was like transfigured in this power, glory display, still brought three, James, John, and Peter. Even at Gethsemane, his sorrow, I think even more so, he said, I'm not going to do this alone. Pray with me, Peter. Pray with me, John. Pray with me, James. But they let him down. They fell asleep. It's more about community. But how is it that Christians today just talk about faith as though it's only your personal business? 
Never shown in the Bible where faith is grown personally. And all the more now, COVID is a time where I hear it, I'm like, show me where that's found. It's okay, pastor, I don't need church. I just grow in Christ alone. But the Bible says the Christ display and express himself through the body. The body is the church. If you want to grow outside of the body, you're not a part of the body. You're just some weird growth that can be cut away from it. All of us are a part of one another as we chose, choose to follow Jesus. That's what he's inviting us into. And so the, the, the next few weeks, as we, the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean? What does it mean? We've heard many times that community is important, but what does it mean? Not the method, but why is it important fundamentally, theologically? The basic unit of a disciple's life is life in community. And that's why even though there's a lot of restrictions on groups and all that, we are pushing for all of us to participate in the D groups, discipleship group, to grow together. It is awkward, I tell you. It's really awkward in the beginning. But again and again, you can go to our Facebook page and hear our Instagram, hear stories of people who were reluctant to join one in the beginning, but because they forced themselves or were forced by Pastor James or were forced by somebody else, in the end, they participated in this relationship that sometimes is very difficult. Because there's disagreement, misunderstanding, but then there's also growth. You know, the Bible doesn't talk about non-conflict existence. In fact, if most part of the New Testament talks about Paul writing letters to help resolve conflict, but he never says, leave the community. But he says, work through it. Work through it. Understand it. Grow from it. Of course, I'm going to talk more about when you need to leave. But first of all, you're going to be a part of it first, fundamentally. And so, may the communion, the word itself is the same word as community, right? May the word of communion, participating in this quarterly act, remind us that we're not alone. God is with us, and he invites us to be part of his body, the church. Let us sing our closing song for today.
we pray. Father, thank you for being our Father. And Jesus, thank you for dying for us on the cross and resurrecting. And Lord Spirit, thank you for being among us, within us, with us. Lord, as we go this week, may you help us remember that, God, you are with us. You're going before us. You're behind us. And you're beside us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.